We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Section 84. This is a long section, but there's kind of section like parts to it that kind of break it up. Interesting because when we look at the history behind it, kind of looking at revelations in context about section 84, it's kind of talking about in the fall of 1832, they got this this priesthood revelation and it gave instructions for primarily missionaries and um it says it set, setting forth the New Testament pattern they were to follow, expounding on the messages they were to to deliver, and assuring them of God's power and protection. I think the Lord's trying to ramp up missionary work among the saints. They've been doing it, but I think He's starting to kind of say, "Hey, this is going to be a lot more common." And there might have been some concern, some trepidation about that. Like all of these are recent converts, and all of these people are trying to figure out how to build Zion, and all of them are going through the kind of uh, unsure footing of having a population in Missouri, a population in Ohio, trying to figure out where they're supposed to be. They're already facing a lot of animosity from their neighbors. And so I think the Lord's trying to say, hey, here's how missionary is going to go. Here's how missionary work is going to be. Here's the message I want you to give. And know that you always have my power and protection with you. And I think that's going to be a really it's always been a useful thing. I mean, even to this day, missionaries that leave, they have the, the same promises. But um, I just think about like the early saints. We're talking usually it was grown men with families that were leaving for potentially years to serve missions. And that's that's not something that's easy for anyone to do. Even today, that would be very difficult to do. So uh, having this much of a revelation kind of addressing all of that and the nature of priesthood and all of that I think was really important for the Lord to to teach his his saints about that. I, I think for me the two things that really stuck out to me were the priesthood is a very deep subject. Not deep like complicated. Well maybe it could be complicated, but there's a lot to consider and understand when you're and even if you know all even if you read all of the content, either in manuals, scriptures, general conference about direction about the priesthood and the difference between the Aaronic, the Melchizedek, the, the, the different um, callings or um, what are they called? Uh, offices within the priesthood. The only way to understand it is by understanding the atonement, I think, because the atonement is what gives Christ the power to be Christ, is what makes him our savior. Now, because he is our savior, it is his right to dictate how 
the covenants, gospels, ordinances are carried out, who does them, how, in the terms and conditions. He sets the terms and conditions. Often I feel like we, the way we talk about the priesthood and the organization of the priesthood, we can begin to think that we hold the priesthood like we can wield it to our desires. And that is not what it is. And that's what sometimes leads people to think like this is either exclusivity and a, a, a club for, for certain people and not others. And it's nothing like that. The moment you begin to use the priesthood or think you control it, you're, it's the moment you're getting further from the fact and the purpose of it. Because for me, what the quote in the manual where it says, I think it's the second section, it says, if I receive the Lord and his servants, I will receive all the Father has. And then it, it's the quote by Elder Paul B. Peter, Piper, Piper, I don't know why I said Peter. He says, it is interesting that the oath and the covenant of the priesthood, the Lord uses the verb obtain and receive. He does not use the verb ordain. It is in the temple that men and women together obtain and receive the blessings and the power of both the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. And that really stuck out in my mind because what he's trying to say is that the Lord is has given the priesthood keys and to his prophet and his apostles, and they've ordained these things in the new restored church so they can have baptisms, they can have the gift of the Holy Ghost, they can have temple ordinances, they can have all these things. But that's not the end of it. It is in receiving and obtaining the covenants that are made under the priesthood authority that you truly are taking advantage and basking in the blessings of the priesthood. It's not just to be ordained and, and you're good to go. The ordination is, or having individuals who have the authority is, is one thing. Living the gospel under that authority or having made covenants with the Lord is what the real priesthood, like that's the fruit of it. You know, I don't know if I'm making any sense. You know? Well, yeah, in verse 20, it says it pretty simply. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. It's not something that you just walk around and you bestow on people with your presence. It's through carrying out ordinances that God can use his power. And yes, he needs you to use your hands, use your mouth, use your mind to carry out those ordinances. But the power of God is only made manifest through those types of things. Yeah. And it could be a blessing. It could be, you know, the sacrament. It could be a baptism. But it's like this is when you see the power of God, of godliness. I like how... When we think about, you know, as we begin this this section, it goes through the lineage of the priesthood or the, is it the lineage? All the way back to Adam, goes from yeah. Adam to Abel and blah, 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 all these prophets, all the way to Joseph Smith. And I thought it was interesting that it tells us in the manual, why is this important? Why is it important to know? And the importance is because the priesthood is more than just, well, it's the authority but it's also pure knowledge. And this pure knowledge is meant to be passed from one individual to another. That I will be, I will talk to you face to face and then lay hands on you and ordain you to the priesthood. And that is very similar to the way the Lord spoke with Adam face to face. And it's, it's kind of like the, the pattern of how the Lord likes to interact with us individually, 
one by one. There's no room for uh, people, one, taking this honor upon themselves. There's no room for the people just saying, you know what, all of a sudden I have the priesthood. It's not just the knowledge, it's the relationship. And I think that's what the lineage does is that there's not just knowledge. You you can you can hear read the prayers. You can recite them all you want. You can go and do the actions. But it's if you don't have the relationship with the Savior and with his representatives and have made that relationship, then the priesthood is not. Well, that's the way it's honored. You know, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think that the line of authority is important for a couple of reasons. One, it shows directly where your priesthood has come from. You can literally draw a line through time as to where where that priesthood's come from. That that's how you can justify saying it's the same, that it's the authority. It's been passed on from person to person. And then, like you said, I think there's also a relationship aspect to those, the person who gave you the priesthood and anyone you give the priesthood to. I think that as being part of someone's line of authority, whether you're down the chain or, or higher upstream, <laughs> you kind of hold each other accountable. There's a, a certain amount of this person is almost like my priesthood mentor, you know, or could be could serve that way. Whether you got your priesthood from your father or from a neighbor or from a missionary, it doesn't really matter. That person can kind of like you said, they've given you that knowledge. They've given you that experience. Well, I think that they can also be considered a resource going forward. You know, teach me more about this. I don't think it needs to end at the ordination. I think it's something that can continue as well. You know, and I think that I like looking at it that way because it's like. I owe it to this person that I'm not just going to say, OK, here you go. Good luck, you know, but also like help them see it through, help them learn how to how to use it properly, help them learn how to respect it and how to be worthy of it. And I think that's to me, that's kind of what that line of authority is. And you might have that same expectation of the person that gave it to you, you know, as a resource. Yeah. Well, there's also a difference between having the authority and having power in the priesthood or being yeah. worthy to exercise it, just like every other covenant we have made. Just because you are baptized and you disregard following the Savior and modeling your life after him doesn't mean that that baptismal covenant is in effect. That's why we have the Holy Spirit of promise, the Holy Ghost who seals things. When our heart is pure and we've done what we can, and and that and I see that very similarly with the priesthood. Uh, some, I mean, we can get so deep into this about, you know, what, how the Lord gives multiple examples on how you should exercise the priesthood, you know, that you should not do it by compulsion. You shouldn't do it by virtue of just having the priesthood, but you should do it by kindness, love, gentleness, you know, long-suffering. And if you look how he governs us as humanity, he's governed us in a way where he will give us guides and helps, you know. And as we follow his prophets and his, his son, we prosper. And as we don't, he gives us more opportunities and sends more prophets, sends more messengers to have us repent and change our life. And that whole cycle of, oh, it's like these dispensations and falling aways and then new dispensations. It's a kind of a pattern for our own personal life. We go through periods in our lives where 
we are all in 100% in the gospel, and then we get distracted, and then we hear an awesome talk, or something happens, a tragedy, something, anything that can call us back, and we, we sit at this fork in the road where we say, well, I can go back to the Lord, or I can bury my head, or I can, I think I can do it on my own, you know, and no matter how many times, at least I've noticed in my life, no matter how many times I choose doing it my own way, the Lord very kindly always has a reminder you know you can just go this way and go back to what you knew go back to how you, what you felt and go back to having greater peace or you can go down the path of immediate gratification or what's popular or what what will get the respect of people more than the respect of god you know um so i i think that's also important that we keep in mind that just because <clears throat> you were ordained to the priesthood doesn't that, that that's not the end of it you then are asked to magnify your calling you're asked to to and and that's the thing that the gospel is a progression of commitment and the more committed we become the actual the more free we actually are and um, inversely the the more uh free we are with our passions and choices the more restricted we become in the long run you know yeah, I think oftentimes we see the priesthood as some sort of, especially, you know, receiving the Melchizedek priesthood as being like, oh, you've, oh, there's a culmination of something or becoming a high priest. Well, technically, that's the highest priesthood office there is, you know, so you now you've you've achieved this this status or something. But my gosh, it's like all it is, is you have more responsibilities, you have more commitments, you have more obligations as someone who it wants to learn more and progress and in verse 43 through 45 these ones stood out to me a lot it says and now i give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life for you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of god for the word of the lord is truth and whatsoever is truth is light and whatsoever is light is spirit even the spirit of jesus christ there's some pretty serious uh advice there right beware concerning yourselves give diligent heed to the words of eternal life what is that well that's the doctrine of jesus christ right know what that is know it know the doctrine know why it is we do the things we do don't just do things blindly learn about it and get a better understanding and then for you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of god well we know that we have the scriptures we also know that we have general conference and we also know that the prophet speaks often not in a formal setting but when he speaks that is the word of god and so when it says you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of god that's not that's not playing around i mean he's saying you're responsible to know what the prophet says and to know what the scriptures say and to live by that right and then last you know for the word of the lord is truth Basically, what we should do is model ourselves after Jesus Christ, which whether you're a priesthood holder or not, that's our that's what we should be doing. But I think when you hold the priesthood, your commitment to that is even greater. You're not only trying to follow in his footsteps, but you're his representative and you're carrying his authority with you. And if you're not living that way, um, you're not that's that's why you're not worthy to wield the priesthood, to use it. That's why you're not worthy to use the power of God because you've made these commitments and you're not fulfilling them, then you're not worthy.
Well, I think it also goes on in in verse 52. It says, and whoso receiveth not my voice is not acquainted with my voice and is not of me. And so when you're thinking about, you know, living, following the word of God and all of that, if you're not acquainted with his voice, and I think that that's an interesting thing. It could mean that that you're not aware of what the scriptures say. You're not paying attention to what the modern prophets are saying. But I think it's also like you being able to tell the difference between the prompting of the spirit and something else. Being acquainted with his voice is knowing what comes from God and what doesn't. And the only way that you can know what comes of God is through experience. Yeah. Right. Listening and paying attention and making some mistakes, maybe following something you thought was God and is not. And then going, oh, that was different. What was different about that? You know, and I think that that's that's really important, too, is it's like in, in that path of following the word of God, not only knowing the doctrine, but also recognizing when those spiritual promptings are coming. It's just as important. So in verse thirty five. Thirty four through 40 where he says when he's talking about the priesthood well 33 let's read the whole section huh? <laughs> 33 for whoso is faithful unto receiving receiving obtaining these two priesthoods of which i have spoken and magnifying their calling meaning not not passively sitting there like a lump but going and using it the way it was intended to bless others lives and sanctified by the spirit unto the renewing of their bodies they become the sons of Moses and of Aaron and the seed of Abraham and the church of the kingdom and the elect of God. It's funny how you don't you're not that. And then you get the priesthood. No, he right. knows you're imperfect. You're going to get the priesthood as you continue to do the best you can and learn. And, and seek to magnify your calling to do it the best you can. Then. You become all of these things, the elect of God. And also they who receive the priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. For he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my father. And he that receiveth my father receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore all that my father hath shall be given unto him. And this is according to the oath and the covenant that belongeth to the priesthood. And it's it's interesting because our relationship with God when we begin this life is one to find out why are we here? What's the purpose of this life? What happens after we die? You know, what's all this about? Once we come to know the Savior and realize that he's telling us that there is different ways of living life, different ways of acting, different ways of exercising your agency. And he is declaring, follow me. I'll show you how to exercise your agency. I'll show you the principles and the commandments and the things that will make you a better person. And then we cling on to that. And then the Savior says, now that you are beginning to see that the gospel, the light and the commandments, now will you act as I would act? Will you act in my place in these situations? And then that's the priesthood. And if you do that, then you are like me and you begin to inherit everything I have and you receive everything the Father has. So it's it's like this progression, this model of pro progress, you know, which to me is one of the best things that screams to me that this gospel is true, because I cannot fathom an eternity, a heaven, where we're subjugated to a higher being just for their pleasure. 
<laughs> or ego. You know, that right. seems wrong to me. Just like a father wants the best for his son to have the best life they can and to pass on everything that you've learned, your mistakes and successes and stuff. So does our father in heaven want with us. And then that brings me to Helaman chapter 10. This is where Nephi receives the sealing power. And it's funny because it begins with him telling him, you know, in verse two, where he says, Nephi went his way towards his house. So he had a hard day of preaching, pondering the things which the Lord has shown unto him. And it came to pass as he was pondering, being such cast down because of the wickedness of the people, of the Nephites. So he was given a task. The Lord told him, will you go act and do something as if I was there in my behalf? Will you go exercise your priesthood? And he's kind of feeling down and it didn't really have the effect, the intended effect. And he says, because of the wickedness of the people, their secret works of darkness and their murmurings and their plunderings and all manner of iniquities. And it came to pass that as he was pondering these things in his heart, behold, a voice came unto him saying, Blessed art now thou, Nephi, were these those things which thou hast done, where I have beheld that thou hast with unwaveringness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people, and thou hast not feared them, and thou hast sought thou hast not sought thine own life, but thou hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now because thou hast done this with such unwearingness, <laughs> behold, I will bless thee forever. I will make thee mighty in word and in deed and in faith and in works. Yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word. For thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels that ye shall have power over this people. You shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. And behold, I give unto you the power that whatever you shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, whatever that shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thus shall ye have power among this people. And it's interesting that Nephi was magnifying his calling by doing his assignment. He went to preach, and you know what? It didn't go well. <laughs> but because he was faithful in just doing what the Lord expected him, it opened the door for him to receive even greater power and greater influence. And that is one of the differences I see on how God governs and how the world governs. You know, the world would look at Nephi and say, man, you failed. You're getting demoted. But the Lord understanding agency and understanding the hearts of people and understanding that what he asks of us is a broken heart, a contrite spirit, and to be obedient. That he will respect the agency of others. And Nephi was extremely successful in what he did in the eyes of the Lord because Nephi was in unwaveringness. He didn't look out for his own life. He wasn't worried about what people thought of him. He was worried about what the Lord thought of him. You know? And that's kind of how when I look at section 84 and I look at all of these rules, covenants, and expectations that the Lord has given us, it's, and I look at, Okay, what does this look like? I look at the example of Nephi and I say, well, I could I could do that. I could do that, meaning I can do what the Lord expects me to do. You know, he's not expecting me to be perfect. He's not expect, he's expecting me to do my calling. What is my calling? And in our words, sometimes we can be tempted to diminish the fact that your calling may be to create the programs. But is it 
create the programs because it's a lucrative calling filled with <laughs> grand uh, accolades and it's, you know, people will sing thy praises. No, it's a lucrative calling because Christ asked you to do it. And if he asked you to just make the programs or just set up the chairs or just do this thing, that is enough for him, you know? Yeah, it's, if we go back to, to section 84, verse 54, this is kind of along the lines of what you were saying. The Lord's kind of admonishing them and he says, says, and your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief, because you have treated lightly the things you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. What this t tells me is that if priesthood holders lack faith, if they start focusing more on the vanity of their of their calling or of their responsibilities, you know, if you're a bishop, if you're an elders quorum president, and you start saying, "Well, I'm I'm I must be somebody," you know, I'm a stake president after all. Um, he's saying, "Listen, your minds have been darkened because of unbelief. Like your lack of faith, your lack of understanding of this stuff, makes it so you actually don't have access to the the Holy Ghost as much." And then when it says he brings the whole church under condemnation, and this condemnation rests upon the children of Zion, even all. It doesn't affect just you. It affects everyone around you when when you aren't living up to that or when you're mistreating your authority or your responsibilities as a priesthood holder. And, you know, you often think about the difference, you know, the, the indicator of whether a, a unit of the church should be a branch or a ward, whether it should be a stake or a district. It really depends oftentimes on the number of active members, but especially active priesthood holders. And it's not because people can't be faithful members and followers of Christ without priesthood holders. What it means is we need the priesthood. We need active and worthy priesthood holders to, to carry out the ordinances. And that positivity, that faith that it takes to do all of that lifts everyone up. And without it, honestly, as priesthood holders, we have a tremendous responsibility to those around us. Not just to ourselves to be able to, oh, yes, I can give a blessing to someone that that improves my life and makes me a, a more faithful person. But look at how that affects others. The fact that you can give a blessing, the fact that you can serve the sacrament, the fact that you can serve in any priesthood calling, it elevates everyone else around you. And without it, like he says, it's under condemnation or it's diminished. Everyone else is diminished when we are not fulfilling our responsibilities. Yeah, and it's. I look at it as exercising the priesthood righteously. You are extending, you, you're standing where the Savior stands. And when you do it unrighteously, you are mocking the Savior. And you're providing terrible example for people. You're, you're not just, oh, you did wrong. No, you're saying to other individuals who look at you and say, oh, that's how the Savior is? And it, it hurts. And, and I think that's why it affects so much. So much of what, as missionaries, we battle against is not people who don't want to believe. It's people who have been hurt in the name of Christ and religion or manipulated that you're trying to paint and, and show them what real Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are like. Yeah. So much of it is battling the false 
traditions and perceptions that are out there. You and know? you look at you look at verse 73 also. And the Lord says, but a commandment I give unto them that they shall not boast themselves of these things, neither speak them before the world. For these things are given unto you for your profit and for salvation. And then he goes on to say, you know, people who don't listen to you, he's not talking to like the missionaries of the church. Those who don't listen, you know, that's their issue. But he's reminding us that we're not there to boast about our power, our authority, our whatever. That's not what it's about. It's not about really about you. It's about you doing things through the Lord. And it reminds me of Ammon, you know, when they're talking about how they've all been faithful and they've all had success in their missions as they come back, the sons of Mosiah, and they're kind of getting back together. And, and Ammon is like, um, I do not boast of myself, but I glory in my God, right? And that's the complete attitude we ought to have. It's not that I'm so great, that I'm so righteous, that I'm so worthy, that I'm able to do all this stuff and bestow my, my benevolence upon you. No, no, no. You're a servant, first and foremost. And who are you serving? You're serving God. And if anything should be praised, it's God for the opportunity to serve him and to serve others around you. And when you treat it that way, people won't view the priesthood as like this, like you were saying, a lot of times people have used it in a way to exercise unrighteous dominion or to say, you need to do so, something because I said so because I'm a priesthood holder. Well, we have to counteract that a lot of times. We have to say, no, that's actually not how this works. Um, as as priesthood holders, we serve first. We serve the will of God and we're serving others. And then they benefit from that. And when that serving isn't happening or if it's happening in the wrong light of boasting or of unrighteous dominion, it, it's more detrimental to a society, to a community than it is beneficial. Right. It, it goes against the whole sinning against greater light. And oftentimes it's something you have to consciously guard yourself against, you know. I think there's very specific order when it comes to officiating in covenants. And the Lord wants, he has specific requirements he has set for individuals who they have to be of a certain age, have a certain priesthood, either Leoronic or Melchizedek, and be ordained to an office in that priesthood. And even if you are ordained in that office, you need to have permission from the individual who holds the keys. You know, so, for example, to pass the sacrament during this COVID area, the bishops in the ward allowed worthy members in their home to bless the sacrament. Now, is that something that can happen all the time? Not when the bishop says, no, now it's now church is open. You should come here to take the sacrament. Um, just like if you are. I don't know. You have a calling in one word. You don't go into another word and say, oh, well, I'm Sunday school president in my word. And I'm going to tell you guys, you know, there's order in how the Lord does things. Having said that, all of us that are part of Christ's church who have been who have made covenants with him all benefit from the priesthood. And when we exercise our callings and when we speak by the spirit, whether you're a woman, whether you're a primary kid, you're speaking through priesthood power. You know, you're acting in exercising the priesthood, um, you know, and, and I think we we tend to limit it to officiating in ordinances, which is a very specific thing, you know, but to acting and having priesthood power, we all can have priesthood power because the covenants we make are covenants we make with the Savior. 
when the Savior says, open your mouth and testify, you open your mouth and testify. When he says, go serve this person, you go serve that person. And you're acting under the direction of the Savior, and hence you're exercising the priesthood. It's not, that's the way I view it. Yeah, you see, um, in verse 80, it kind of talks about that. It says, and any man that shall go and preach this gospel of the kingdom and not and fail not to continue faithful in all things, shall not be weary in mind, neither darkened, neither in body, limb, nor joint, and a hair of his head shall not fall to the ground unnoticed, and they shall not go hungry, neither a thirst. Um, this is specifically talking to those that are being called on missions, but we've been told that every member is a missionary, and we all have that mandate to preach the gospel whenever we can, wherever we can. Um, not full-time, right? We're not going to quit our jobs and become full-time missionaries again. But through our actions, through our interactions with neighbors and friends and family, we can still preach the gospel. And when we do that, like you said, we're we're doing that under the direction of God. And when we do it, we're promised that we won't be weary in mind, neither darkened, neither in body, limb, nor joint. Basically, he's going to uphold us in every way. Spiritually, physically, he'll take care of us. And then verse 85 Neither take ye thought beforehand what ye shall say, but treasure up in your minds continually the words of life, and it shall be given you in the very hour that portion that shall be melt, that shall be meted unto every man. He's saying you don't have to necessarily know what you're going to say to people. You don't have to have a, a thought out, drawn out plan. Um, but the the key to being able to treasure up in your mind continually the words of life is knowing what the words are. Right. I, I've found that over the last year and a half or whatever it's been that we've been studying preach my gospel like pretty seriously. <laughs> um, I have found that scriptures come to my mind more readily and more it's more available to me, even just like gospel principles, even if it's not an exact chapter and verse come to my mind so much faster than it used to. And I did study the scriptures before nowhere near as regular rigorously as we've been doing for the last while. But I can I can testify to this, that when you keep things in your mind about the gospel, they come to your mind first thing. They're, they're a lot more available to you. And then the last part in verse 88, and whoso receiveth you, there will I be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts, and mine angels round about you to bear you up. He's basically saying, if you do this stuff, I'm there with you. Not just, I'm I got you in mind, or whatever but he'll send the spirit to be with us and you think about that companionship of a missionary companionship it, there's two people present but if you're doing it right you're magnified by the holy ghost and think about a marriage there's two people present but you can be magnified by the holy ghost however many people are in your family it doesn't matter if the holy ghost is there you're magnified and everything you do is better and it's it's more it's enhanced by the presence of the Holy Ghost. And that's what he's saying. You don't have to be a priesthood holder to have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to be a priesthood holder to be able to use the Holy Ghost to magnify your own voice and to to affect other people. That to me is is a solid principle that when we teach, when we're willing to serve Him, no matter what our calling may be, no matter what our role may be in the world, He will always be there for us and back us up. On my mission, I noticed that, you know, the mission president has stewardship of basically all the non-members in the geographical area. And then the state presidents and the bishops have stewardship geographically of all the members in their area. But they have to work together. And 
just because also just because you're flying and you end up in an airport somewhere and somebody you start talking to them and you start bearing your testimony or maybe you even want to invite them to church or give them a book of mormon you don't have to stop and be like well actually i don't have the right to do this let me go contact the bishop or the mission you know we have to respect the priesthood keys knowing that if you don't have the priesthood keys you don't receive revelation for that congregation you know and that's how the lord organizes and keeps everything in order and it's mostly done for our benefit because he already knows it's for us so we don't get carried away and start creating our own churches and, and becoming susceptible to corruption and and to making our own being deceived and thinking we received our own revelation for what needs to happen in the southeastern states of the united states you know so there's a there's a very strict rules of, about who has the keys and who can receive certain revelation but just like and, and and that to me makes so much sense because i look at in moses where moses is speaking with the lord and he says worlds without number have i created and you cannot number them but to me they're numbered and i look at the priesthood and priesthood keys and the way everything is organized geographically and and in and, and the order in the etiquette where you cannot go into another word and say hey i have the priest i'm going to bless the sacrament no you have to check with the bishop you know and you know you 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 know there's certain things just because you have the authority doesn't mean you have that calling and and that's why i like about the order of things and in verse 109 where it says therefore let every man stand in his own office and labor in his own calling and let not the head say unto the feet it hath no need of the feet for without the feet how shall the body be able to stand and the body hath need of every member that all may be edified together and that the system may be kept perfect and that to me speaks very much about one we shouldn't place certain callings ahead of each other there's different magnitudes of responsibility and and with great power comes great responsibility but there's also this need to stay organized and to not diminish the fact that hey your priesthood task right now is to can tomatoes and your priesthood task is to negotiate the opening of this area for the preaching of the gospel and both have different impacts and magnitudes but both are divine callings where you can take great pride in knowing that you are doing what the lord wants you to do and whether sometimes we feel like we're the feet sometimes we can think that the head is more important than the feet the lord is saying one is not without the other you can think this is more important than that but if you don't have this you can't do that and if you don't have this you can't do that either and so we have to look at the whole it's also warning us about uh telling telling other people how to do their callings it's also warning us about don't be afoot telling a hand how to do its calling right or that we don't need you or whatever um you think about the body and how it functions when something isn't working when it's not doing its part the other parts of the body will often try and compensate for it bypass it but that individual is experiencing a severe illness because of that um, if the pancreas shuts down and like happens with diabetes it's no longer producing insulin the liver has to kick into overdrive in trying to process things 
and the body starts to try and compensate for the lack of insulin in the body. And the person feels really, really ill. They feel like they're, they have no energy. They feel very sick and they can even die. And so you think about if he's comparing the body to the way that the priesthood functions and the way that the system of the gospel works. Um, if someone's not doing their job and everyone else is trying to compensate for that person, it's not working well. And it will it will be detrimental to everyone. Also, if you're going around saying, well, I'm the pancreas and I think I should take on more responsibilities of the liver and of the gallbladder and all this stuff. Well, that's not your role. And if you try to overcompensate or try to take over other roles, it will also cause a problem in the system, right? That the system may be kept perfect. Know, know what your responsibilities are and magnify them. Do them the best way you can. Like you said, if it's canning tomatoes, do your best you can possibly do. And if that's your responsibility, if it's to find someone to do building security, you know, if that's your job, well, then make sure that you do that perfectly as well as you possibly can. Because not everyone can negotiate for new areas of the gospel to be opened. Then who would be canning the tomatoes and who would keep after the church building and who would be mowing the neighbor's lawn, right? All of those simple things are so incredibly important. They're all necessary to make the system perfect. And I think that's really kind of interesting is either if you're trying to do too much or you're not doing enough, it kind of breaks the system, right? And that's why it's so important when you have a responsibility, a calling, whatever it may be, that you do your best to do it. Well, it also kind of points back a little bit to the previous sections we've been studying, the concept of unity, being united and forgiving each other. And if you're not one, you're not mine type of scenario where we live in a world where if a relationship or a contract or something's not working out, we there's always a clause to get out. I, I feel so much that we are right now in our life, we're working on making our heaven. It's not so much will we get there and fit as so much as will we get there together and then there'll be heaven because we're there with everyone we worked on developing each other for so long, you know, where even right now in our, our day and age with a lot of different things, these principles are principles that the Lord is telling his people how to interact each other, how to value each other's contributions. One, you begin with your own personal commitment, your own heart, your righteousness. And then once you're working and doing your tasks, how do you interact with others and respect their contribution, even forgive them, even help them be successful? It's a very different way of having a society where we kind of live in a society where if you're not number one, you're nothing, you know, or if you're not the best, you're you're the worst, you know, or and, and where the Lord, you know, I, I think there's still there's still so much room uh, for us to learn how to properly interact with each other. And the priesthood is the way the Lord has said, I will delegate unto you the ability to do these tasks, but you need to do them correctly and in the right spirit. And if you don't do it in the right spirit, it's kind of better off that you never took on the task to begin with, you know? And he says that several times. It's better that you do not know me if you turn away from this covenant. If you get this far down the progression where you actively are making the choice that you want to inherit all that the Father has and be like us, and you turn away from this, it's better off that you that you would have been ignorant. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing. 
for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.